We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, guys, to your midweek mailbag edition. This podcast is myself. It's Andrew Spade. We go through a lot of different topics on things brought to us courtesy of you guys with some great questions. We obviously did not have the late night tweet from Rappaport and Schefter that talked about the Deshaun Watson injury, obviously saying that this is a unique situation where Watson has what doctors are telling him is a strain of the subscapularis with a rotator cuff, and he continues to have both pain and weakness and movement. The type of injury in baseball normally causes four to six weeks. We're not quite at that four to six week mark yet. So with that, Watson continues to do work to regain strength, velocity in his shoulder and shorten that window. We got all of that covered for you here in terms of what it looks like going forward for the Browns quarterback position. Many, many more topics. A great midweek mailbag. Thank you guys for stopping by. I appreciate you being here. Let's get going right now on the latest OBR Film Breakdown. What's up, everybody? Welcome into your midweek mailbag. It is somehow already Wednesday. That means you guys submitted questions to us via Twitter, via the OBR website, some of you through the Twitter DM section, all of which were great questions. We have a lot of stuff to cover here. I applaud you for sending over those questions. We have great um, participation in that. I welcome in Andrew Spade, who's going to be with us for the show as usual. Andrew, what's up, man? How are you? Doing well, Jake. Uh, excited to be back again. And I, I do really like, we get such great questions. I really appreciate everybody taking time to to send thoughtful stuff our way and and not just kind of like, you know, uh, just the the same thing. I mean, we, we don't we don't even really have to edit it down that much because everybody's got a different take. It's really cool. There are some that double up though. So I, I do want you guys to know if you ask a question and we can roll it into one, like one question where it's answered, kind of wholeheartedly, then we're not going to do the same question twice. I just want to give you guys that piece of information. We are not ignoring any question we are going through and picking them. And if we're covering that topic, we will make sure to answer your question either by, uh, via us answering it through conversation or um, through a different question that has a similar sort of outline to what you're looking for. So uh, if you don't get an answer, I'm also okay with you DMing us again and asking, and I'll write up an answer for you. Cause I always, you know, the goal here is to help you see the Browns through the lens that we do. 
and uh, that you know that can come in many different ways. We like to do the mailbag because it gives us a chance to talk through things, which I think is the best medium to get through thought process. But we, like I said, I'll answer anything you guys need. So never hesitate to ask those questions. Uh, before we do so, though, Andrew, I'm trying to learn as much as I can personally about rotator cuff shoulder injuries, especially throwing shoulder right. I'm not the joint, but the rotator cuff specifically. So I had somebody reach out to me from my hometown. Not going to go into the details of who this person is, but he was a quarterback uh, at the high school that I played at. And this is, again, cross-comparing high school quarterback to what Deshaun Watson's dealing with. We certainly understand this is apples to you know, elephants or whatever, right? It's a, it's a different medium here. But this does have a similar mental makeup to dealing with the shoulder injury. So I wanted to give you guys the perspective here, which I think is great, right? So um, we'll give this person the name Jeff, right? So Jeff had a micro tear in his shoulder in the same way uh, had it suffered it from playing baseball actually but noticed it going into his senior year so he said basically the thing was it was a massively uncomfortable feeling like part of your arm and shoulder was missing it felt empty and weak he said thankfully throwing a baseball throwing a football are very different motions throwing a football was a lot easier because it was more compact and requires less extension if you know baseball you're typically reaching the baseball a bit further back to get more on it football is more of a compact different more you know, more of like an over-the-top arm angle at times, right? Less extension on the arm and shoulder. So by the time baseball got done, he was getting close to football season, had an MRI done and confirmed the tear. So they were already deep into camp, seven-on-sevens with minimal issues. Because again, it's seven-on-seven, other than lingering, uncomfortable feeling in my shoulder, which was often, uh, get, you know, getting used to it by then, that, that feeling in the shoulder, right? So out of sight, out of mind thing. So when the diagnosis actually came, they had a lengthy conversation with the coaching staff, Deciding the next steps, the outcome was to get a cortisone shot in the shoulder, take a few weeks off from practice and throwing. They didn't tell the teammates, didn't want to induce panic. Also, avoid the word getting out to the opponents that the shoulder issue, this kind of sounds a little bit familiar, right? Keep that um, you know in, information on the download as much as they could. Didn't want it to get out. Long story short, he was able to play through the injury for the entire season. The steps he took to play each week involved lots of treatment and rest, no upper body weight training, no throwing on non-offensive practice days, you know, high school, obviously is usually an offense focused day at high school, you know, um, they split them up more. So obviously NFL is a little different on game days. We basically coat the entire upper arm and shoulder in Ben gay. So it would be numbed. So I couldn't feel a thing. I'd wear a compression sleeve, which I noticed Watson had one on during the game and I'd proactively take pain medication. I believe the reason I was able to make it through the season was because our offense was structured to keep me safe with a great offensive line great running game mixed in and then play action, which were often deep passes from what I remember throwing deep was no issue. The problem was when I had to throw the intermediate throws, the 10 to 19 yards that had to be thrown with velocity. I see similar issue with Watson right now. He was able to throw a lofted deep ball in the Titans game at the end with no issues, but it's evident that then he throw over five yards that requires zip, you know, that extra little bit of everything in your shoulder to get it there. It's nearly impossible for him. In my experience, every throw had to be made from a set platform no throws on the run. That sounds familiar, right? Throw on the run up the right sideline. Even if we would roll out, I would need to stop, set my feet and shoulders to the target, be able to throw necessary velocity. When our season ended after 12 weeks, the, the micro tear progressed into a complete tear. The rotator cuff had also sustained um, some injuries to that as well. He had to have reconstructive surgery out a few weeks after, you know, uh, just a few weeks after the shoulder, sorry, after the season ended on the shoulder. So basically what we're saying is, he had to change how he played quarterback. And again, small scale here, but you know, I, I don't have a ton of connections that have had this shoulder issue. So I wanted to share, 
So Watson's shoulder, you know, he's got to deal with this in a play style to account for the injury. It's all new to him. Like mentally, this is all very new to him, what he can and can't do. He said, my style of quarterbacking was more conducive to play through this injury as I was living in the pocket. If initial read wasn't open, I was throwing the ball away or running out of bounds to, out of bounds to avoid getting any hits, especially to my right side. So again, he's saying essentially Watson hasn't come to terms with who he is as a quarterback, this new version of what he has to be, which is what I have also been saying that there's a mental side of this where he has to play the game in a way he's never really felt comfortable playing it to protect the shoulder, to protect everything and really get his mental side. Right. And to me, Andrew, this all falls in line with what I've thought. He has to get reps. Like if he's going to go out there and play with this injury, the only way to, to get to a point that he can manage it is to play through and learn what he can and can't do, right? And if he's too hurt to do that, then he be he should be IR. Like if he can't mentally get there to play in an altered way that protects the shoulder, right? Then you can't really justify putting him out there because he can't do that, right? And you need a strong offensive line. I think we can agree the offensive line and run game have not been good enough yet to make you feel really confident in their ability to protect him and kind of manipulate. You'd almost need them to run like 2020 Baker Mayfield stuff, right? 2021, where they were really leaning into the Kubiak stuff and trying to do more play action and create a lot of that stuff for him. Not to say they weren't, not to say they aren't, but I think it's pretty obvious to me at this point the shoulder thing is going to linger. He has to know he's a different quarterback with this injury than he is before the injury, which is tough for a guy like Watson who thinks who's constantly fighting the mental battle of I'm still great. I can still do the impossible things I was doing three years ago. And that, as we have seen, is not something that he can still do right now, largely because the mental's slower than it needs to be. I think we've talked about how He's trying to make one play, give you know, earn back his reputation, and I, it's a bad mixture of things in this situation. And and when you talk about these things, the lingering pain, the steps you take to numb it up, the 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 sleeve you're wearing, the tape you have to wear, it is going to be there all year, Andrew. It is going to be there. And the question is, can he find a play style that fits the way you have to protect this injury? And I don't think he can. I I really have questions about whether he can do that. And at the minimum, that's, I think, what Kevin Stefanski was trying to decide the other day. Can he play with this issue? So you either can play, right? He can either, he's either got to go out there and play a ton to get used to it, or you have to pull the plug. There is no, to me, the day-to-day dancing around thing is not the best route to go here. He either gets comfortable with the pain and discomfort and figures out a way to play through it, or you're done with it. You can't just say, oh, we'll throw him out there week eight, Mm, probably not week nine, then maybe week 10, 11, right? You know what I'm saying? Like he's got to play through it to figure it out or you don't believe he can play through it and you say, we can't do this, Deshaun. You can't you can't mentally change the parts of your game that you've been doing since high school in Clemson, right? Those 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 special plays, you, you don't have those in you right now. So that's, I think, the large mental battle uh, that, that's being waged here is that exact dilemma. The original forecast, you know, was was four to six weeks. When we finally got a full picture of what the injury was, the the original forecast was four to six weeks. Well, four weeks was what we just saw, and six weeks would be Arizona. So, you know, we're in the range of where he should be back to, you know, some version of himself. And obviously that's not happened, right? Because 
even before whatever hit he took on that the final play that that knocked him out of the game or that gave Stefanski the opportunity to remove him however you want to put it every throw he made wasn't right and I you know I think we analyzed the you know practice footage last week as like the Zapruder film to to get a sense of his arm in practice and it didn't look great so I think there's a, actually you know I think we actually have a fair amount of evidence where this is this is at right now like I I don't to me it doesn't feel as questionable I think the only remaining question is how the team decides to react to what is pretty obvious at this point so from that perspective then the question becomes like you said Jake do you put him on IR and 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 try and give him an extended period of time away from the team IR would be a minimum of four games which puts it puts him out through the Pittsburgh Steelers game at home or, you know, do you continue to do this week by week, day by day thing where every day is a new question about what his availability is? To me, that sort of clarity that that putting him on IR would provide is valuable to the team at this point because there is there are legitimate questions now surrounding the team. Everybody's being asked about it. Greg Newsom is tweeting out things about people being hurt. It, it, it this is this is a replay of 2021 in so far as the health of the quarterback's shoulder is the only conversation anybody can have. And when that happens, it distracts the team from what they're trying to do. They have been very fortunate to win the past two games. And they now are in a place where they need the clarity afforded by a move to injured reserve. And if he's not better after four weeks, then you can have a really serious conversation about, you know, the long-term return. But at least that gives you some time to know that you're going to be without your quarterback. Because as you said, Jake, the day-to-day stuff, it's not helping the team. It's not helping this coach avoid questions. And it's not providing any clarity to anybody either inside or outside the building. Yeah, so to me, it's either we're going to stick with Deshaun and we're going to figure out the best way to navigate this as we go. He's going to play through it. Or, hey, we're going to give him rest. We're going to put him on IR. We can't. We got to move forward here. That is the only path. They, I just, I don't think playing this back and forth yo-yo of day to day, maybe he'll be active, maybe he won't, is good for the offense finding any continuity, right? For whoever's the quarterback, PJ Walker, whoever, exactly, it doesn't, it does not bode well for figuring out anything in the long term. For and again, it's it's actually kind of wild that we have to go through it again, having just gone through it two years ago. It's three straight years of quarterback turmoil for the Browns, right? Where Mayfield's shoulders beat up, the media side of things that he was putting out on his side, what Kevin was saying, then the Odell thing mixed in the middle of that. Then you go the next year, you you make this massive trade for a quarterback. You have the suspension. You have Jacoby. Now, again, this same thing. It's like just a year of – why would we expect that? I guess why would – those uh, analyzing or those who care about the Cleveland Browns expect to get normal quarterback years. It's been 2020 since we saw a normal quarterback season. So uh, that would be nice to find again at some point, but for now we have to go through the trudge of dealing with the discussion around a shoulder injury for a Browns quarterback and the impact that that has on what otherwise is a pretty good football team. Yeah. And just to underline, I think, you know, I, I kind of took this in a larger picture direction, but just to underline, you know, that was some really great information that you received and I think the the main takeaway that I have from that is that he's not going to feel normal throwing the ball again until probably next year. And I would assume 
that if if he wasn't trying to play football this next week, he would probably be contemplating surgery, right, to, to mm-hmm. repair it properly. So I think that is what I, I think is worth underlining as we kind of walk away or, or step away from this conversation is that he, he is not going to be, you know, if, if the whole purpose here is like we just want to see the Deshaun Watson from, from the Tennessee game, well, I don't think that's on the table anymore, frankly, because – if, if I, I feel pretty confident in saying that if he was going to recover to play like himself and feel normal and comfortable throwing the ball, that would have started to happen by now, and it very clearly isn't. Yeah, so at this point, you have to alter your expectations for Brown's quarterback play, even with Watson back, right? You know, it's it's a borderline lotto ticket right now in terms of what you're going to get, and that is uh, not the expectation any of us had, and especially didn't think we'd be saying this as they were 4-2 and two. Um, is, is, is a bit of the craziest part of the whole thing. All right, let's get over to questions. We don't really have anything other, Andrew, than from the team right now is an off day other than we're waiting to figure out what they're going to do at running back, right? Like yeah, they let go of Deion Jackson. They have Kareem Hunt, who they said last week is on, on one leg, essentially, in the postgame celebration. So that leaves Pierre Strong with, with Jerome Ford out a couple weeks, Pierre Strong and Hunt and then like apparently Jordan Wilkins. I, I I'm really confused about. I mean they they traded for Pierre Strong and they might like him and think him and Hunt Hunt will be better. They those two can 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 sort of handle the burden of all of this. But I'm uh, continually uneasy here about the running back situation, which is is being challenged in a big way. I mean like Dontrell Hilliard still out. There's some guys out there that have had some recent NFL success. I do wonder how serious they take the threat of where they're at. And it's it's Tuesday going on Wednesday, so we're not seeing anything different this week. Yeah, and and just a reminder for folks, Jordan Wilkins was with the Browns uh, sort of later on in the training camp window as they were looking for a sort of veteran backup to Jerome Ford, and he fumbled twice in, was it the Kansas City game? Was it the last game of the preseason? And it just with Watson at quarterback. Right, and it just kind of blew up his entire uh, chances with the team because I think he was looking to be the kick returner and a backup running back and sort of a steady veteran hand. This is before Kareem Hunt obviously joined the team. So that's that's where you know the name from. He was with the team for some of camp, but not all of camp, and then kind of torpedoed his chances in, I think, one quarter uh, against the Chiefs. So not maybe the most confidence-inducing uh, signing for the Browns, certainly. Um, I, I think they're trying to figure out how to manage the roster because they've got to carry three quarterbacks now because I, I, you know, I think we're all assuming P.J. Walker is added to the active roster soon. So – then it becomes, you know, you've got one less spot to deal with. And so for the short term, because they're also not going to IR Ford, right? Because it's one to two weeks. So they actually kind of have to create a spot here. And so the way you do that is by putting somebody on the practice squad. To your point, Jake, you know, Dontrell Hilliard or somebody else that's a free agent, even somebody like Leonard Fournette would maybe be more interesting, more uh, confidence inspiring. But I think they're going with the familiarity thing, which has been a theme throughout Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Berry's time in Cleveland. They want the guy that they know. Yeah, that's a, the conversation around these quarterbacks is how can you make their life easier? Talked about the run game inefficiency. They're having these negative zero-yard runs, and they're not all running back fault, right? There's, there's certainly blame to be had on the offensive line and miscommunications and things of that nature, but I don't see them helping out the quarterbacks that have been in there by running the football efficiently. That's the thing about the Colts. Like in that game, we just watched, they ran for like, I think they ran like 40 times. It was a lot, a large amount of runs, Yeah, 40 runs for 168 yards. So like 4.2 yards per carry, but they were efficient runs. Like they, they had like 
eight runs. Sorry, I think like 15 runs of five yards or something. So they were consistently churning out, not explosives, but consistently solid yards. And that's what the Browns need. I don't know how many times they, like I said, it's, it's mentally damaging to go from like, oh, we got a nice five yard first down run to a negative one on second down. Right. You said that happened like five times, and right? In one game, it was five times by the yeah. t- by by my count. Not all runs, not all plays on first down were runs, right. but it got them to a second and short medium, right. and then they went backward on second down via run. And that is, you know, like you're feeling optimistic, and then you go, "Oh God, now it's third and seven. Right. So right with the with the passing game where it is, you have to stay out of third and long. That's the prime directive yeah. for any coach, offense, etc. When you've got a, a backup or third string quarterback and you know no, things aren't clicking in the passing game you just can't put especially the way pj walker struggles against pressure you cannot put him in third and long because he's getting blitzed yeah yeah it's it's like they almost relax i notice like this relax on second down and then somebody gets beat or someone's going to the wrong place or a back doesn't see the cut and then boom you're putting yourself in the worst position the third and seven stuff i don't have the data in front of me since week four but it's not encouraging and it wasn't even that encouraging with watson right. out there either yeah. so you know, the best way to be better on third down is don't have third downs. That's the best way. So maybe make it happen on first and second down, right? So anyway, let's take a break. Come back. We got questions. We are going to fire through those questions. And uh, let's like Andrew and I said, there's some really good ones here. So we're excited to take those questions. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. 
Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, first question from Dan Barbera. He wants to know, how much is this new offense is tailored towards that uh, which Deshaun Watson does best through the first weeks of uh, the season from your point of view. I know it's been great. Uh, sorry, it hasn't been great, but someone who watches film, do you see similarities? I'm just wondering if we need a whole new plan similar to what Watson did in Houston, simplify the pre-post reads, easy throws to get him in rhythm, et cetera, et cetera. They're doing some things. They're doing, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're putting him in empty, giving him some things he's been familiar with. But boy, I watched what the Colts were doing, Andrew, the Colts' offense is almost a carbon copy from what they did against the Browns, a carbon copy of a lot of things the 2020 Texans were doing. Inside zone, RPOs, read flat wheel stuff off RPO that is dangerous and deadly to cover, putting defenders in conflict off of that pull read with a flat, uh, either a stick route behind the flat, and then that's where Minshew like, pulls off of that first initial read, is pressing laterally to either throw the speed flat or throw the stick, and then he's like, okay, I'm pressing out. Someone's pressuring me. It was Delpit and Thornhill. I'm going to put my foot in the ground and get back up inside. That stuff was great. They even did some under center move the pocket play action stuff, both from pistol, the gun, and under center. It literally looked like I was re-watching 2020 Watts and offense tape. That that offense Indy was running is what I always thought the Browns could re- eventually run. I got to give Shane Steichen a credit again. Like that, They, they knew... They were pulling elements from so many different offenses that I think for them to be able to do that, and I'm watching the Browns struggle to just kind of like reverse pivot out and flip the ball to the back, like it's night and day how much like the Colts were able to to input, run, and like effectively run. Like that's what's amazing to me. So uh, I thought the Colts were miles ahead on offense, even though they had a backup quarterback as well. So I thought that offense is what I always envisioned is the offense that I would love to see the Browns run. I don't think they're doing enough of that stuff right now with Watson. Again, they're putting him in empty and doing some things he's familiar with. And they're trying, Kevin's trying to keep a lot of those elements from his Kubiak stuff in place, but I don't think it's the healthiest mixture right now. uh, Andrew, I would actually prefer them to almost literally copy paste a lot of what Indy's doing, but they have shown no willingness to go that full on route and, uh, that doesn't invoke them uh, enough confidence in me, but I've been beating a dead horse on this, I yeah. think. So well, I just wanted to, like, everybody watched Indy, and you watched them cut up the Browns in a very meaningful way, a defense that had been playing really well, and you're like, why does Jake talk about that structure of offense? Well, that is the reason why. It's a bitch to defend. It really is, when it's run right, hard to defend. Yeah. So, you know, call me an idiot all you want, but that's the offense I've been talking about. So, there you go. No, I mean, you make a ton of great points, Jake, and I think it's like worth just remembering who Shane Steichen is, right? He was in Philadelphia as the offensive coordinator, but before that he was in Los Angeles. He has, you know, uh, his roots are in a few different offensive systems. He is not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, uh, an old hand at running that type of offense. He's a first-year head coach in Indianapolis, as you said, coaching with a backup quarterback. That, you know, that was their sixth, seventh game together. the you know we re- all remember what a what a clown show Indianapolis was last year with Frank Reich and then Jeff Saturday on offense they couldn't run anything so 
I think, yeah, your point about look at what Indianapolis did to the Browns, which was the best defense in the league coming in, and I think, you know, might might still be. It's certainly in that conversation. The point is it can be done, right? And it can it can be done in such a way that it makes the quarterback's job really easy. There was not a lot that Gardner Minshew had to do in that game that you would describe as difficult, whether it's throws, reads, you know, the, the decision-making was all made easier for him. And when you're rooting for a team, you're watching a team on a weekly basis that has started three quarterbacks and their passing game has completely broken down to the point where when they complete a ball past the marker, everybody gets really excited. It's just a good reminder that it does not feel this hard for every team, even teams that are in similar situations. So that's not necessarily a direct criticism of Kevin Stefanski. That's an observation about the fact that right now, offense for the Browns through the air and and the running game is hard. And it is often, you know, one step forward, two steps back on a drive. And so there are things that we like. There are things that we don't like. The overall feeling is that they are struggling to produce offense and that's not true for everybody in the league. It's it's true for a lot of people in the league, and offense is down overall. But Shane Steichen is a great example of a guy that has changed his stripes a few times and found what works. So I think, yeah, yeah credit to him. And I think, it's again... from a lot of thought process. And, and I'll ask you this, Andrew. Um, Rod Chudzinski, 2013 Browns. Guess who his offensive quality control exactly. coach was? Yep. Shane Steichen. Shane Steichen. Yep. The next year, two yeah, guys in the house of Cleveland. Yep, two guys in the house of Cleveland in the following season, Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel. Yep. So the, the course of th- two seasons, three of the better offensive minds in football right now were in Cleveland in some way, shape, or form, which is, you know, it's a decade ago. It's hard. You can't be like, ah, this guy's the next dude. I mean, Shanahan, I think it was getting abundantly yep. obvious, but the McDaniel Steichen, it's just like they've been in Cleveland. You could have identified them in some way, shape, or form. But then again, Cleveland's turning over coaching staffs left and right. But this is the like downline idea you would love to have where you have a guy who comes up in your system over the time, like Shane Steichen, and you realize that, and then he becomes your next OC to replace somebody else you had, right? right. That would be, that would be the dream. But and, and I will just add the, the brightest offensive mind in Cleveland, other than Kevin Stefanski left this off season to go to Arizona and become their offensive coordinator. So yep. and, and doing a nice job with limited talent there. Right. Sure. And they did not replace that, position at all and did not add much young offensive thought to the to the room overall right it was bill musgrave yep. so this was something we talked about months and months ago and i think you're seeing it now in the in the roots of things feeling awfully stale and it's at times formulaic with their offense in my mind all right next question here we go um go this is a this is a question about the green dot and what it does uh when a player who has the green dot is not on the field who calls the play my reference for this is when it seemed that uh walker Anthony Walker was not going to suit up this week. There were suggestions that Rodney McLeod wear it. But if McLeod only plays 25% of the snaps, who is calling the other 75% of the plays? Yeah, so it's usually, like like you just mentioned, what they've done this year is they've had Walker and Taki Taki do it. They've been on and off the field uh, playing the mic role. Those guys have been the guys communicating as far as I know. I can't always tell who's wearing the green dot. Yeah, they don't make it, it easy could to tell. Be, they do not. It could be Delp. It's usually going to be somebody who's on the field, either them or a direct substitution are on the field a ton. So like if you want to go figure that out, you're probably going to look at a place like PFF who has snap count data and figure that out. So, yeah, it would have probably been somebody either one Thornhill 
somebody who's on the field for almost every single snap. So your guys who are the highest amount of snap receivers in this one. So Delpit had 70, Thornhill and Walker had 70. Those are your guys that would do it. I think John Johnson fiddled around with it over the last few years. He's had it at various times. You prefer it to be a linebacker that you keep on the field the whole time. Like we said, Walker played all 70 snaps. So clearly he did it. It had been worn. You can have two of them. So it was worn by Walk and Taki Taki. They couldn't obviously be on the field at the same time. I don't believe you can have two communication helmets on the field at the same time. So that's another element to keep in mind. But yeah, that's that's the, the basic nuts and bolts of all of that is if it's going to be like Walk misses a game, they have to identify either, again, a player whose position is going to be on the field all game, like one linebacker or a safety. My guess, it would go to Delpit or Thornhill. I would imagine Thornhill is my best guess if that if they dealt with some linebacker issues there. All right. Um, anything to add to that, Andrew? I don't know if you have any green dot theories. No, no, I don't. Okay. I, I, I think you covered it really well. All right. Uh, Coffee L asks, what did the Colts offense do that caused problems for our defense? And can it be corrected? We kind of have already hit on this. They RPO'd him, put him in conflict. They they did some great um, man-to-man releases. So like some bunch, some motion stuff into bunch where they were, uh, you know, putting guys into conflict and then sort of turning them back against the grain. So instead of like one cut, it was a two-cut route, various things like that. Um, you know, here's what the Browns have to fix. They have to be in the right spots at the right time. Zone coverage, they played more zone coverage than they have in every game outside of Baltimore. If you're going to do that, you have to understand how to pass off route combinations. That's wildly important. Secondly, stop shooting yourselves in the foot by jumping off sides and giving teams free plays. That's important. They didn't tackle well. Obviously, that's important, right? And then again, I think the Colts just made a few more plays than the Browns' defense was ready to make on their end. Is it correctable? Yeah. I don't think they have to play like 90% man coverage here, but I think it's clear they're more comfortable in man so that do they keep tailoring things that make, you know, the opposing offense uncomfortable when they're playing man? The thing that was discouraging in this game is outside of miles, it wasn't a very great pass rush day. When they blitzed four, only four, they actually didn't get as much pressure as they normally get. And again, that is largely because we're talking about Steichen. I think the reads for Minshew were very defined in this game. So he was getting the ball out relatively quickly. He did not hold it very long. One of the few times he held it long, Two times he held it long. I thought Miles got after him and got those two key sacks and strip fumbles. So can it be fixed? Yes. I thought the communication stuff broke down too many times in zone. And also, I think the indie offense is just hard to cover as well. Like, I think they are a genuinely tough group to cover. And um, I don't think that I thought that I think Andrew and I talked about this. I thought they were humbled a little bit. I thought they could show up and play. Um, maybe not the most laser focused game and get away with it. And I think that that's some of that is there. So they have to clear up some of the communication stuff, which I think is a large part of, you know, Hey, here's how we pass off curl flat. Here's how we pass off, you know, post wheel. You got to be on the same page on those. It takes one person taking one wrong step and you're in, you're in trouble. I thought in the, in the Ravens game, Lamar made some Lamar plays. And this one, I thought Steichen just did a good job of putting his guys in really correct places and Minshew delivered. So um we'll see if that's a trend or if that's a blip here but i'm not of the belief that they can't have better weeks than what we just saw i don't think this is going to be an in perpetuity thing i don't think they're historically great defensively but i don't think they're as bad as what we just saw on sunday they're somewhere in the middle and and that's going to be a really good defense still they 
got exposed in some ways. I'm sure that there'll there'll be some answers to that. Jim Schwartz is smart enough and has been doing this long enough to find those answers and kind of get after his guys. You know, I, the one thing I just want to say is that they 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 still seem to show some tackling problems. They've really excelled at tackling when they're coming downhill towards the box, uh, penetrating when when they've got the running back or the receiver kind of moving side to side. But they open field tackling is kind of a different animal and and several of the cornerbacks ward has struggled at times throughout his career greg newsom is is developing a real problem with getting guys on the ground and it and it often turns you know 5 10 15 yard gains into big plays and and that out of a, a slot corner especially is something you don't want to see right because you know the guy i always talk about we always talk about is mike hilton right like he plays that slot corner position with the physicality. So you might get the catch, but you're going to get hit. And Greg kind of does not do that and then falls off of guys, has trouble getting guys on the ground, as I said. He's he's just a very slight player. And so that is one. When you add, when you add him to Denzel and you have to see those guys tackle like a Zach Moss or a Taylor on the perimeter. It gets intense. It's not It's it's not great. Like Pittman in the open field, you can see the size difference that yeah. comes into play there. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a... You know, Ward makes up for it because he's so fast and effortless in coverage that it's like you, you take the good with the bad there. Uh, that, and that's true of a lot of elite cornerbacks. But Newsom is is getting beaten coverage fairly regularly. And then when guys catch the ball, he's he's not getting guys on the ground. So I think that's more of an ongoing concern where it's more of a personnel issue. We also, you know, tackling issues. We knew Juan Thornhill was bringing some of those with him. That's That's always been his game. Um, again, mm-hmm. you hope that he makes up for it in terms of playmaking at the back safety and, uh, you know, turnovers, that sort of thing. But, uh, all right, next question. Um, do you think there's conflicting agendas between the head coach and the front office? Uh, Kevin is coaching for an extension in the playoffs while the front office wants to see if the quarterback works. Um, my initial thought on this is that I don't think that there's necessarily conflicting agendas as much as the head coach is tasked with a different thing than the front office is tasked with, right? They're different jobs fundamentally. And so I think that there is a good chance that Kevin Stefanski saw what was going on with Deshaun Watson and realized that that wasn't going to be, you know, something he could win with on a Sunday. And so he, he took that hit where Watson had to get checked twice and took that opportunity to get him out of the game and, and kind of decided to to stick with that. You know, this is PJ Walker. just, led the team to a victory against the San Francisco 49ers. So you can't exactly fault Kevin Stefanski for feeling a little bit more confident after what he had seen early from Watson. So I, I think, I don't know that it's necessarily that there's a conflicting agenda, but I do think that it, you know, Kevin is in a different position on game day in terms of trying to get his team to play, you know, winning football at all costs, right? It becomes a, it becomes a battle just to end up with more points and credit to Kevin He's done that the last two weeks out of uh, some pretty disadvantageous circumstances. Yeah, I think the the closest comparison is back in 21 when they were trying to decide if Baker Mayfield was the guy, right? So the agenda was to figure out, is this quarterback, even though he's beat up with the front half of his body here, you know, as he's throwing, is he the answer that we have to give money to? They've already given money to the quarterback, right? So that part of it is not conflicting with making a choice about the quarterback working. There, there is, there's nothing there. Like there, the, the long term is the vision with the quarterback. So I get the angle your of your question. I understand the Kevin is probably coaching for his job. I think he, I mean, I think he knows that. So 
yeah, I mean, again, in the situation you just talked about, Andrew, if if Deshaun is playing just as poorly as PJ, why would I leave Deshaun in there? Right? right. Like that's this guy could get hurt worse further. Like, like let's just, if we got to trade out bad for bad, we'll trade out the healthiest of the bad. Right. So um, I, I don't think so. I, I don't get that vibe that there's a difference in the, in the overall goal. I think the front office feels the pressure to win too. It is a, a roster in win now mode. So I, I don't think there's any of that. Uh, lingering at all um that question was from holmes by the way i forgot yeah. to say that i'm bad at saying the que- who the questions are from go ahead right. jeff capacci uh says here what is the initial feedback grade on pierre strong jr it seems like he's the most explosive back we have looked like he could find uh, it looked like he found a solid cutback lane against the colts i like him he's better suited for the role than they forced on elijah Moore. that's i mean elijah's doing a different thing entirely but um yeah, we're about to figure it out about Pierre Strong. I do think there's something there. He's got a little bit of a burst. We'll see what the vision looks like. The pass blocking was really bad in this game. So maybe that's where Kareem will always be on the field in those later down situations. But yeah, I don't know, man. We're going to figure it out. He's about to be the lead back. Him and him and you know, and yeah. Kareem are going to solve that equation for us. Well, so, and that's the way I'd um, like to see it break down, Jake, because I'd like to see Strong take first and 10 second down reps and then Hunt gets third down and short yardage. I think that is a natural fit for their skill sets. Yep. And I, I think there's, I, I have enough confidence in the two of them handling those roles that I'm like, for a game, I'm not totally put out that they, that those are the options. You know, they'll elevate Jordan Wilkins. They'll have him as a third option. Um, you know, and he maybe can contribute on special teams, but it's going to be these two guys show for this week. And so I, 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 having where they're at, having lost their first two running backs now, this is not the worst scenario for, for being down the, the top two players on your depth chart. Right on. David Slivka asks, Hey, I was wondering where Jordan Akins has been. Hey, David, I'm asking the same yeah, thing, man. Very weird. I've seen offense. I'm watching Pharaoh Brown have moments in the, in New England with Mac Jones, who, although Hunter Henry and Mike Jacecki are on that roster, I have no clue why Jordan Akins is getting nothing. I have no idea. I have no answer for you. I wish I knew. Well, and the, and the follow-up question, Jake, is why did they sign him as a free agent? No clue. I can follow up to your, like, I don't know. They're not, he's not running many routes. He's not on the five, field very often. Yeah, five total snaps on Sunday against the Colts. And they were in heavy personnel quite a bit. Yeah, they gave him decent money too. Yeah. So okay, you're you're admitting you have to put Hudson on the field because he can't block. Right. Then what what did you you got to be able to put him on the field to to hide him in a three tight end set and then put him into some kind of route that could be effective. The only route I saw him run was like a backside dig on the first Watson incompletion where he spiked it at the feet of, of Ford where he had he had Aikens right behind it, but he's too jittery in the pocket getting back the field for things to sit in there and deliver it. So you know, as we saw Kirk Cousins hit about 30 inbreakers last night, that's not the easiest thing to hit off play action, but those are, I mean, it, he's got to find a role. I, I don't, I don't know. And again, this is the bigger question for everybody trying to catch the football right now is finding someone to consistently deliver it and finding some like way the Browns attack the passing offense that gives us some sort of indicator about who they're going to be. Because right now we don't know. Owen Butler asked next, what has made our defense so bad in zone coverage this season in the past couple is it personnel or the coordinators or a combination of both? Where is the disconnect between our success and man? Atrocious zone coverage bus. Generally speaking, we kind of answered this a little bit ago, but they're better. They have players that are better suited for man. I think they have a lot of man body corners and that plays itself out with a free safety like Thornhill and a guy like walk who can kind of drop in the middle and play that middle hook is a, is a better suited defense. They're not great 
in zone. They don't seem to communicate well. Now, I think the things that were difficult, Joe Woods did a lot of post-snap, guy does this, you do that type of stuff. Whereas if you listen to the team this offseason training camp, Joe Woods is very much more rigid with his rules. So things aren't changing a ton post-snap. But I also think they just have a ton of players who are better in man than they are in zone. So that tells you that there are going to be times where they struggle in zone. We'll see if the percentages move back in a different direction a little bit here soon, where they, you know, these, these two games they've struggled, they're in the mid sixties for zone percentage. Maybe we see that slide back down to the fifties or forties. There are two coordinators who like to play man and really trust it more than anyone else. Flores, who we watched on Monday night football with the Vikings and Schwartz. Those are your man to man teams. Like the Colts play like 94% zone against the Browns. So there are teams on the contrary of this whole thing. It is, again, I think largely personnel is better at it. We'll see if they can sort of start to figure out some zone stuff. I I didn't think that they were that bad against the Ravens, really. Lamar just made some great throws. This is the first time in a game where I've seen some busts happen. And that the right sideline bust, I, I wrote, I mean, I talked about it on, on Twitter, Andrew. Like, I really think the moment of hesitation from the guys in the secondary because they thought Miles was going to run by and blow that play dead. It caused some confusion in that split second of, oh, the play is dead confusion where they relaxed then makes you lose your train of thought. Can you, who do you follow? Where am I going? That didn't help. Let's see more evidence is the point here before we give up on them being able to play zone. Do you want to add to that, Andrew? No, you covered it, man. Okay. Kyle Newland asks, um, actually David Laurie first, where are the Browns fans overlooking the mental toll? This is a heavy question. Were they overlooking the mental toll on Watts in the last few years that it's taken on him? He looks much more like someone begging to not be on the field as opposed to looking like a guy to gut it out. Outside of a few touchdown celebrations, I don't think we've seen him compet- that competitive fire from him. I'm going to let you answer that because it feels a little reactionary to the struggle of health he's dealing yeah, with right I, now. I, I definitely disagree with the perception that he doesn't want to gut it out. I, I think, if anything, it's actually the opposite, right? That he has the same thing that Baker Mayfield has in that they both are so desperate to help out their team and, and get involved that they aren't fully considering their health at times. And so I, I know that Watson did the right thing in stepping aside against the 49ers. Uh, I, I, you know, I, and, and the Ravens, you know, going back two weeks ago, three weeks, whatever, a month ago now. Um, but I, I don't see that. Uh, I think what I would say is that, you know, this is something we talked about a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, maybe even before the season, Deshaun Watson has never had extended periods of struggle as a football player. You go yep. back to high school, college, he has been the best player on the field at every stop. He came into the league to a terrible Houston team and was lighting it up before he tore his ACL. And then when he came back, he was even better. He has only been on an elevator ride going up. And so last year at the end of the season and this year, especially after the injury, but even before, he's struggling and he's not able to do what he has consistently done throughout his career, which is lead his team by being the best player on the field. There's leadership in terms of everybody listens to me, which is Kareem Hunt. Even though Kareem Hunt is not the most contributing factor to any win, he is a he's a thermostat player for the entire team because he talks, he's positive, he's engaged, he wants to he wants to pick guys up around him. Watson is not that type of leader. Watson is a Guys, go follow me because I'm going to light these guys on fire. And when he can't do that, I think he doesn't know what to do with himself. That's my read on it, is that he doesn't yeah. know who to be if he's not the best player on the football field. 
And I do think the mental burden of what he went through off the field weighs a ton. Whether he did it or not, that's not for us to decide. But I do think there's this element of where you go from everybody loves you to everybody hates you. And I've talked about it and I mentioned LeBron, and I don't think that's the right thing because the 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 element of like LeBron pushed through. But the Tiger Woods thing somebody mentioned recently, Andrew, is really real. That 2009 episode, he became a shell of himself as a golfer for a while. Now, he got it back, obviously. Um, but he became, ironically, dealt with a lot of injuries. But he became Tiger Woods again. I don't know if Watson does, but that mental weight of what happened off the field is very much a real thing that we just can't gloss by and presume this guy's going to be fine. And you're right from that perspective, Andrew, to your point about never being a guy who struggles on the field. He had never been a guy who struggled off the field. Right. 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 With people liking, yep. loving and admiring him mm -hmm. and to have that go the other way. And again, that's why I have said he wants to get his reputation back in one throw. And it's just never going to be that way. So anyway, next question, Kyle Newland, can the Browns with PJ Walker at quarterback go 500 against the Seahawks cards, Ravens and Steelers? My answer to that. Yes, I think he can. Do you think that can happen? Andrew? I think it's gonna be really hard. No, of course. I mean, of course, but they can win two of those. I mean, I think it's possible. They yeah. could go to Seattle and win. They could beat Arizona. Yeah. If I, I mean, if I was ranking them, I'd say that they should be able to beat Arizona regardless of who's a quarterback, just because of how well the defense plays in that sort of situation. Although Drew Petzing should be able to draw something up. I think they've got a good chance of beating the Steelers at home, you know, home field advantage with the defense. They should, you know, that's, that should work out for them. So those, those would be one and two. The two road games are three and four Seahawks being three Ravens being four. Um, but yeah, two and two sitting at six and four with a you know an easier schedule from there I think is is doable that's why again to go back to the Watson question if you IR him these are the four games he's missing and I think that has to be part of the consideration that the team is making right is that we we probably have a chance at winning three of these four games even with a backup quarterback so let's get make sure Watson's healthy and give some clarity to the situation but you know I, until it happens, it's we're all speculating. Yeah. Yeah, well, they get the Broncos, Bears, Texans, Jets. Again, that sounds good. Sounds very winnable. The problem is he will have then missed another month of football, and he's trying to get acclimated again. And presuming that you're getting, like, I think, Andrew, everyone thinks you're getting the, t the Titans game version of Deshaun Watson back when he comes back. Right. That's not the case. This thing could continue to linger longer than anybody wants to talk about. and. That's the thing that I think the misconception boils down to. You're not getting the version of Deshaun that you think you finally found in that Tennessee game unless he continues to go out and play and figure out how to navigate this thing. Uh, that's my only contention. And I don't know. Maybe the rest is necessary and it gets to, to normal after another month off. I don't know. But to me, the mental side is as worrisome as the physical side. And the only way the mental side gets better as a football player is to actually play in football games and get real reps. So that's it. We're going to close on some trade talk. We're going to rapid fire these. Clee uh, Curses says, I understand Jake's stance with Deshaun Watson has to play, but just a week left to trade deadline. Don't we have to have an insurance policy? If everything is about this year, if Deshaun Watson doesn't figure it out, you can't win with 32nd rated quarterback play. You can't. I think that there should be a higher sense of urgency to go move for somebody like Jacoby, but... 
I don't think the Browns are going to do that, Andrew. That's my hunch. Uh, I think the sense of urgency should be higher because you are dealing with a really, really good defense in a pretty good roster. Now, I don't know if the Nick Chubb injury has changed some of their perception about what the offense can ultimately peak out at, but they should – P.J.'s been bad. Like, he's been bad for two straight weeks. Like, it, it's not even a question to me. He's been bad. So I think that they should be looking to either – can DTR be better? Can a, pl- a plan around him be better, or do we need to go get somebody – but just saying like, ah, PJ Walker and swing the fist and we're going to make it. I don't love that, man. I don't love it. It could work out. Maybe the reps and, and games have helped him and he starts to, to uptick a little bit. But I'm not sitting here feeling like they've got backup quarterback solutions in play here. And I would prefer they were a little hungrier to go maybe make a move. But I, again, my hunch is that's not going to happen, Andrew. I understand that thinking, you know, that it's not going to happen. I, it, to me, it's analogous to some of the years with the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians where it feels like they're one move away, but they don't pull the trigger on that move because it's a little more than they want to give up, right? And I think we see that often with analytically-minded front offices that, you know, they have a price, right? Jacoby Brissett, as a player, to the Browns, the way they do business, that ha- that guy has a price. They know what he's worth. And they're not going to give up more than that. And so this is a situation where you would like to see them extend themselves a little bit beyond their an analytical value of, of that player. And so I know that long-term, that's not great team-building strategy. I don't want them to do that often. I don't want them to get in the habit of trading for veteran players that you know other teams know they're desperate. But if it takes an extra draft pick or if it takes – you know, a player to get Jacoby Brissett out of Washington, to me, it's worth the price because we're staring down the alternative and I don't think anybody likes the way that it looks. That's that. Yeah. I think we're on the same page about that. I agree with you that I don't think that that's the way that they see it. Or if they did, it would have happened by now. Yep. Agree. Jeremy has two questions. Is the current state of the running game, a detriment to O-line play running back player, both, both. At times, the running backs are not seeing it properly, setting up plays the way Nick did, and they're not really even meeting the average threshold at times. But the offensive line has not been good enough either. And I also don't think that schematically they've been diverse enough at times. Sometimes they have. Really thought they did a nice job coming out of the bye. And I actually thought they had moments. A lot of weak side zone was successful for them in, um, you know, the, in, in against uh, the Colts and then the, the variations in the San Francisco game. But I just don't think the offensive line has been good enough. The actual the tight end blocking hasn't been as good as I would I I would like it to be, and they need it to be. And the extra offensive linemen that they're putting out there at times, not really helping. No, not helping as much no. as they should it's, for it's, being an extra offensive lineman. On I the think field. the way I would describe it, Jake, is that they're not cohesive. Certainly it, not. It's certainly not. It's, and, it's not one person either. And I, I hate that because you guys want to know, and it one you want it to be boiled down right. to that. But there's a running back didn't quite see it, press it, cut away needed to. They didn't have an identification. Two guys are on one player, right? Or you're pin pulling and you don't block the corner, but you turn back inside. Why do you turn back inside? Because you see somebody running a field who the left tackle or the left guard or the center should have been able to get to to cut off. So, you know, you're saying I'm saying what you're saying, Andrew, which is they're not cohesive. One thing that it really sets up is the is the potential and the thought that Nick Chubb was covering for a lot of these sins over the years uh, with with the running game and. I'll just say what I've said a few times with the amount that they have invested in this offensive line with the veteran coaches that they have between Bill Callahan and Stump Mitchell, 
they should still be able to have a functional running game without Nick Chubb. They, they you know, they, they drafted Jerome Ford. I know that he's hurt now. That you know, they have invested resources in all of these positions. I don't think the answer is going out and trading for somebody like Derrick Henry. If they're not going to trade for a quarterback, they sure as shit shouldn't trade for a, a running back, right? Like, yep. Th- to me, there are guys on the waiver wire. There are guys on other practice squads. You can find running backs, but what what they are missing right now is a running game, and it's a different thing, right? The running backs are part they of it, but they're not the better. whole picture. Yeah. They need to play better. They need to to scheme, not to, to echo kind of coaches speak, but they need to scheme it up better, be more deceptive in their approach, and they need to perform better up front. Sometimes established veterans don't cohesively click, and right now we're seeing a lack of clicking up front between the play calling how they're executing up front, tying it to the running backs in the backfield. It is just, uh, it has left me more frustrated than anything else. They need to be better top to bottom. Correct. Sam Rugg asks, do you think it's possible the Browns try to sell rather than buy at the trade deadline, at least more selling than buying? I don't see AB giving up assets with the quarterback situation the way, the situation the way it is. I think people think there's way more movement at the trade deadline than there is. This is the, I, I, I wouldn't, the leading candidate in the room is the Browns make zero trades by a mile. They could make a deal. It's possible. They're four and two, so they could feel like they could use a bump. I don't see them selling. I don't see them selling. I, I see that they're either fringe buying something on the on the low on a bargain. But I again I think that we think this is baseball or NBA like trade deadline, and it's still not that way in football. So I I, I would say no to I mean the, the stats have the trade deadline picking up activity over the past few years. Uh you know, so I, I think it's possible. I what I would say is that there are players that the Browns could look to trade if the value is right. Donovan Peoples Jones has been a non-factor. There are replacements for him on the roster, and there are replacements on the practice squad as well. Uh, you know, they if they move on from DPJ, Jalen Darden can be added to the active roster and become the full-time returner. That would actually be a, a net benefit right now to the to the team. I mentioned Greg Newsom earlier. I don't think it's likely, but I think it's at least possible that they listen to, to conversations on on Newsom because I think it's pretty clear that long-term MJ Emerson and Denzel Ward are starting cornerbacks, and you can find a nickel for a lot cheaper than a first-round pick. So if they can get an asset or a player of value from Greg Newsom, moving on from him makes sense to me, If that's especially if that's what makes a trade work, right? Like we go back to the conversation about Jacoby Brissett. If, if the – Commanders aren't interested in Jacoby Brissett for a fifth round pick. What about Jacoby Brissett and a fourth round pick for Greg Newsom or, you know, something along those lines where you're, they're getting something that they can point to in terms of, of, of helping their team as well. So I, I think it's possible. I agree with you, Jake, that I think that the, the lack of, the lack of clarity about the quarterback position makes doing something less likely because there's not a clear path for this team right now. And, you know, we, we talked a lot last year in 2022 about their hesitancy to do things being tied to the fact that they didn't have clarity about the quarterback position. I think we might be entering a similar mode now. Yeah, I do too. I, I just, my hunch, my gut says is they won't do anything because anything will present itself. I think they'll listen. I think they're going to be, ha- they're already having conversations, but we'll see. They, they could, I, I guess if they go to Seattle and really, you know, get a win to go to five and two, Andrew, that probably amps itself up a little bit. Right. So yeah, um, it definitely would. Hypothetically from Philly, our guy says um, if it's announced to Sean Watson's to the IR for four games, you can trade a fifth for Jacoby or a third and fifth for Derrick Henry 
what do you choose? I would just rather have Jacoby Brissett. I don't think aging Derrick Henry, uh, giving up multiple picks is going to benefit you in any way. I think Derrick yeah, Henry's we, a name. We've kind of already addressed so. this by proxy. The other thing I'll say is Jacoby Brissett also better on fourth and ones than Derrick Henry. So you get a oh, yeah. little bonus there. there. So yeah, I, I, the Jacoby thing makes too much sense. And I think the reason it's not happening is because Washington one doesn't want to give away a veteran quarterback when their rookie quarterback is getting sacked at a historic pace. And two, mm-hmm. They know that they've got the Browns over the barrel. So you combine those two things, and I bet those talks are a lot shorter than they should be given where these two teams are headed. Well said. Last question before we get out of here. At Ham Pod Prep, I think, is this was a... That's what it said. Would Cleveland make the Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins? Played at such a high level last night. Hard to hard to not imagine uh, him and the Kevin Stefanski offense again. Look... But he's he's significantly better than what we're watching. There's no doubt about it. Does he make you a Super Bowl team? It's possible he could get hot at the right time. We have seen Nick Foles with a, with a super talented roster around him do it. We've seen Joe Flacco, like you mentioned the other day, Andrew. We've seen subpar quarterbacks, not subpar, but average to above average quarterbacks do this sort of thing before. The, the question is with, I mean, the Vikings win didn't help anything the other day. So that hurts more than helps the idea that Kirk would want to move. I do think, and Andrew and I, you and I just talked about this kind of at length yesterday. It, I don't know that it makes some Super Bowl. Um, would Cleveland make the Super Bowl? It's it, there's a chance they could. Right now with PJ Walker, there's not a chance. Right with Kirk, there would be yeah. a chance. Right. Not as high as you would like to think, but there would be a chance. Yeah. The- you're never guaranteed of making the Super Bowl. Every team is just buying a ticket, right? And I think, you know, with the Browns defense, they need average quarterback play to have a ticket. And they're not getting it right now. You know, they're they're at the bottom of the league in quarterback production. So Kirk Cousins gets you above average. That means you've got a ticket. That's all you're looking to do as an NFL team. I don't think that the parameters of the trade work out. I don't particularly think that Kirk Cousins wants to be traded. So I don't think this is going to happen. But speaking as a fan, somebody that likes watching football, I would be 100% for this because it would make watching Browns games more fun. And that's why I watch the Browns is to enjoy myself, if you can believe it. It would certainly shake up things a little bit, put it that way. I mean, it would put them in a better position. Yeah, it would make them a team that could make the Super Bowl. Uh, again, the lotto ticket is not, uh, you know, it's not increasingly large, but it does, you know, improves a, a level of play that is clearly clearly lacking behind with their quarterback play the worst in the NFL right now and I'm not sure Andrew I'm not sure that there's a single team in the NFL that would at the present day on October 24th as we record this swap quarterback situations with the Cleveland Browns I'm not sure a single one would do that at this moment no I Are you- I, th- I think it's actually quite certain because yeah there's just there's so much uncertainty and they have still despite the new contracts being handed out they have top five money committed to the position so that's the combination of those two things that it's exactly what teams fear spending a bunch of money on something and you don't know what you're getting. That's what, that's why teams don't pay running backs and the Browns have, you know, the running backiest quarterback in the history of football. So it's, it's, we can't go too far down that road because it would be unlistenable for all of our, (laughs) all of our listeners to have to listen to us go off on that. Um, But I can tell you, we are going to, at some point, designate a podcast if this continues at some point i don't know if we'll make it to the end of the season some point in the next six months jake and i are going to do a podcast that is going to be rated uh tv mature for and it's going to be all about what 
what happens beyond Deshaun Watson. That will happen at some point. We will do that. Yeah, we're heading that way, unfortunately. So we'll see if that changes in the coming weeks and months and hopefully a year's time. That that can also course correct, but we don't know. That's the unfortunate part is we don't know. But that's it for the mailbag today. A lot of great questions. Thanks to you guys for doing that. Let's make it a regular thing. So be ready on Tuesday to submit those. You can submit them, obviously, anytime after the game, whatever. We'll get to them. I'll, I'll always remember to try to grab them. Um, you can email them as well, jake at the obr.com. I'll do my best. If I miss one, remind me. I'll try to get to it on the next episode or before the uh, Friday enemy lines. I'll always try to get to it at that point if I miss it too. So for Andrew, for me, we appreciate you guys stopping by. Stop by the OBR, $1 for your first month. Rate and review the podcast as well. We'll catch you again. We'll see. There is a Game 7 going on tonight, I think, Andrew, but we got a chance to get some time from Jordan Zerm. I don't want to make any promises. I've been doing this. We're day-to-day yeah. with Jordan Zerm. We'll I see heard if there's we a, like a curling tournament he's got to cover tomorrow, so I think we're out. It, it could yeah. be. It could be. I, I, I'm just going to say day-to-day oh. with Jordan oh, Zerm. God. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So, again, for uh, myself and Andrew and the OBR, we appreciate you being here. Catch us tomorrow. Until then, have a great Wednesday. Go Browns.